season number two, episode number 11, One Golden Moment Podcast. Justice De Los Santos, as always, here to provide an instant reaction, the very first instant reaction we've done in baseball. We've done a couple of these in basketball, but have never really had the opportunity to do so in baseball just because by nature of the sport, three-game series, that's over the weekend, it's hard to, you know, crank out individual ones. You know, we did them in over the weekends with basketball just because it was a tad bit easier, but it's very much a special occasion with baseball. This is the team's very first time in the postseason since 2015, and the first time this team has been in the postseason during the Mike New Era, the two-year Mike New Era. But for anybody who was watching this game, it was... By no stretch of the imagination was it a fun game for anybody really cheering for Cal in this one. It was a 13-2 loss at the hands of TCU. And for anybody that's really kept up with this Cal team, or is, you know, done, you know, to plug some of the articles, you know, of, of the ones that I've written and the one that Lucy has written over the past couple days, you know that this is a Cal team who every single player... Besides Brandon McIlwain, who had a little stint in the NCAA tournament back with South Carolina, you know that this is an, not only an incredibly young team, but this is every player's very first appearance in the postseason as far as college baseball is concerned. And that very much showed up in this game, and we'll get into that a little bit once we go through sort of uh, the summary of this game, but just to start off, you know, as I start off the regular ones where we go through a game by game summary and really just provide this very broad outline, we're going to do the same here, except instead of going very, you know, hitting the main points, we're sort of going to go into the weeds of this one. But before diving into too much detail of this game, let's throw it over to Coach New and see what he had to say after this game. Yeah, I mean, not much to say. We just didn't play very well. I mean, I think, um, you know, not indicative of the way we play. Unfortunately, that's that's how we played. And, um, you know, just not a not a great all-around game for us today. But, um, hey, got to move on. It's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think we swung the bat well today. You know, I mean, you know, they, they would go from left to right. Um, I, I don't think it had a huge impact. I think we, you know, probably more of our impact was um, just defensively. And, and you know, Jared probably wasn't as sharp as he has been the last, you know, five or six weeks. But, um, you know, well, I mean, obviously we kind of, you know, stepped on our own feet defensively a little bit. And that's what kind of put us in a hole. So, you know, I, I think, you know, hey, we, we play a little cleaner game. And now it's it's tighter and you know more meaningful when you have some uh you know at bats later in the game we just kind of got down in that i think it was the sixth inning and you know it's it's tough from there obviously so in the top of the first tcu immediately gets around the board and actually happened uh, by way of the strikeout jared horn strikes out austin henry and on the pitch jake gunther and hunter wolf both attempt to steal second and third respectively Lee throws uh, attempts to throw out Wolf stealing third, but overthrows, overthrows third baseman Quentin Selma, and that allows Wolf to score and gives TCU an early one nothing lead. There would be another unforced error in the top of the third when Selma couldn't knock down a sharp ground ball off the bat of Johnny Reiser, allowing Gunther to score and giving TCU 
a 2-0 lead. Selma would be assessed an error on this play, and while it, you know, it was one of those balls where it was hit rather sharply, but it was, he had, Selma had enough time to get in front of it, really knock it down, and with Gunther being on third, you gotta think if he at least knocks that down, even if he doesn't make the play, that uh, that forces Gunther to stay at third. But because the ball deflects off Selma's glove and trickles into left field, Gunther's able to score rather easily, and that gives TCU the 2-0 lead. In the bottom of the fourth, Cal gets a run on the board with a beautiful hit-and-run, uh, the main p- components of that being Darren Baker and Corey Lee. Uh, with Andrew Vaughn on third and Lee on first, Lee attempts to steal second on a payoff pitch, and Baker straight up hits it where they ain't. He hits it to where shortstop Adam Avino would have been if not for the fact he was covering second base because Lee was attempting to steal. And Cal cuts TCU's lead to 2-1, to one, and you're thinking, okay, Cal is finally getting you know the jitters out. They're starting to develop a little bit of a rhythm when it comes to swinging the bat, but that rhythm is kind of sapped right away when Wolf, you know, yet again, hits a solo shot to left field and extends TCU's lead back to two. They're leading three to one up to this point. And in the top of the sixth, this is where all hell just really kind of breaks loose for Cal as TCU scores six runs, ultimately pushing that lead up to 9-1. And while baseball is a game where you don't have a clock, you have all the time in the world to do what you need to do, Considering that this was Cal's first, you know, for every component, for every player on this team, their very first time in the postseason, and with the way they were kind of swinging the bats that first time through the lineup, it was essentially the deciding sixth inning. Connor Shepard starts off that inning with, you know, a rather unassuming single. When Avito goes down to lay a bunt and move him over, Horn throws the ball away, putting runners on second and third, and that would be the end of his night and we'll talk a little bit more about horn uh once we finish up this little recap rahelio reyes comes in to relieve horn and try to minimize the damage but he doesn't really fare all that well reyes starts off an outing with a walk that allows a two-run double to you guessed it wolf allowing extending tcu's lead to 5-1 reyes did manage to get one out but it came with a run as gunther hits a sacrifice fly to left field that ultimately ends Reyes' night. He only throws a third of an inning. And in comes Jack Delmore, who himself couldn't stop the bleeding. He allows a single to Austin Hen- an RBI single to Austin Henry. And the very next batter, Johnny Riser, follows it up with a two-run blast to center field, pushing TCU's lead to 9-1. After that sixth inning, TCU, they really have a stranglehold on this game. And there was never really a feeling, especially considering how the very early innings developed that Cal is going to be able to come back into this game, even though they did have, they have developed this reputation as one of the nation's more high-powered offenses. Uh, Cameron Eden did knock in a run in the bottom of the eighth with a single, but in the top of the ninth, the Horn Frogs just kept on adding on, tacking on four runs in the ninth to really put the exclamation point on this one. So TCU 13, uh, Cal in what was their first game as a ranked team all season, two. Uh, Final line score, TCU scores the 13 runs, 14 hits, one error. Cal with the two runs, seven hits, and three errors. Uh, Jared Horn ultimately goes five innings, allows seven hits, five runs, three of which were earned, three walks, six strikeouts. Not too many notable lines here on the Cal side of things. Cameron Eden does go one for four with 
the RBI but strikes out three times. Quentin Selma, one for four, strikes out once. Andrew Vaughn, hitless in three at-bats but does manage to draw a walk. Uh, Corey Lee, one for four. Max Flower, 0 for four. Darren Baker, one for two with an RBI and he draws a walk as well. He stole a base as well and is now a perfect uh, 20 for 20 on the season. Sam Wesniak, 1 for 4. Grant Holman, 0 for 2. John Legatuda, 0 for 1. Cole Elvis, 0 for 1. Connor Mack, though, 2 for 4 with a double in in what was everybody's uh, postseason debut. And that was, you know, I brought up that point at the very beginning of the podcast. And to sort of elaborate it on it a little more now, there was sort of this feeling that, you know, it, it's hard to really get into the mind of every player on that team but there was this sentiment that they felt a little shook by the moment and when it comes to the postseason you can never really understand or have a grasp on the emotions and the pressure that you're going to be dealing with until you're actually in that moment there's nothing that can really prepare you for the playoffs until you're actually in that moment and understand what that feeling is like and understand the pressure that you have to endure. This was a Cal team that, you know, for most of the season had been used to going on the road and playing elite teams in their home ballpark and being able to squeeze out a win. You saw that against LSU. You saw that against Oregon State. You saw that against UCLA. And then you also played teams like Stanford at home. They played Arizona State at home. They played BYU twice during the year, one of which times they were actually ranked. They also played a fellow tournament team in Sacramento State, both on the road and at home. So when it comes to playing against, you know, the top teams of the country, this was this wasn't unfamiliar territory for Cal, but rather it was just the fact that for every single player that stepped foot on the diamond today, this was their very first experience in the postseason. And you contrast that with TCU's experience. You know, this was a team this is a team with a very recent storied history as, as far as, you know, going to super regionals. And their lineup was very much filled with a lot of upperclassmen who had been to the tournament before at some point in their careers. Uh, the only player in their starting lineup who hadn't been to the postseason yet in his career was Vito, who was batting, you know, I believe, in the number nine spot. And even Austin Henry, this was his very first time making the postseason as a member of the Horn Frogs, but he was a transfer who had actually played in the junior college World Series. So you're now looking at a lineup, you know, two complete contrasts of one another, where you have a Cal lineup that, or not even just the lineup, the entire roster, again, aside from Brandon McElwain, that had yet to be in the postseason, contrasting that with TCU, where a large majority of the players were in the postseason. And you can sort of see that in some of, you know, the errors that this team did commit over the course of the game. You know, Lee's you know, when he attempted to throw out uh, Wolf stealing third, you could potentially chalk that up to there being a lot of adrenaline in the system and really just trying to chuck that throw and make a, you know, try to make an exceptionally good throw instead of, you know, sticking to the basics. I can't really crack that or chalk that up to the Selma error that much just because, you know, that's just rather a routine play where at minimum there's an expectation that you get yourself in front of that ball instead of trying to backhand it. But that you can also see that in... Uh, the horn throwing error as well, where he overthrows Vaughn and allows runners to advance to second and third. You can also chalk that one up to, you know, general fatigue as well, because when he, you know, fired that ball to Vaughn and it ultimately goes into right field, 
he was at, I believe, 110 pitches. So kind of it's it's difficult as to where you can chalk that one up to. And then Corey Lee, aside from, you know, that throw itself, he also didn't have the best day uh, behind the dish from a catching perspective. There were three pass balls two of which occurred in the ninth inning and indirectly led to runs on the TCU side, one of which actually hit the umpire. And it was one of those moments where after it hit the umpire, Lee had to sort of walk out to uh, the pitcher at the time and really just give the umpire a chance to uh, recuperate. And so to dive into the matter of Horn, in terms of the context of this season and you know, where he and how he has pitched up to this point in the season. I wouldn't say it's so far off to call this, you know, unequivocally his worst start of the season. And, you know, if you go five innings and allow three earned runs and that's your worst start of the season, I think you're sitting pretty good in terms of what you've done, your body of work over the entirety of the season. But the five innings that he went, that was the lowest since his start at Oregon State two months prior And the main difference between today's start and that start against Oregon State was, I believe that was either his third or his fourth start since coming back from the injury. Uh, The three earned runs that he allowed were tied for the most that he's allowed in a single start all season. The three walks that he allowed, I believe it was the second, it was tied for the second most that he's allowed all season. But the number that really sticks out to me in terms of, you know, Horn's performance on the day not necessarily the total number of pitches, but, you know, the discrepancy between balls and strikes. He threw 62 strikes as opposed to 52 balls. And what was really impressive to me about this TCU lineup was not so much the amount of runs that they were able to put up on the scoreboard, but more so their approach to, you know, handling Horn. Because, you know, the main thing with this Cal team is if you can get into their bullpen and really force their relievers to beat you you're sitting in a relatively good shape as an opposing team and I believe I want to believe that TCU had that knowledge that while Horn is potentially any other year he's probably a pitcher of the year candidate but unfortunately he's in the same conference as Ryan Garcia so you have one of the top pitchers in the nation and what TCU was able to do especially in the two innings because in the first inning Horn throws 27 pitches and in the second inning he throws 26 what they were able to do in those first two innings was be very patient at the plate get into very deep counts fight off pitches and I believe in those first two innings nine of the ten batters that Horn faced went at least four pitches I believe the lone exception was I think a fly out in the that he induced with the 10th batter and when it comes to just this general idea of you know, sort of the theme that I've been discussing of, you know, the moment and not being, you know, ha- not having that experience in the postseason. It was one of those starts where you can sort of tell off the bat, you know, from the very first inning that the, st- you know, the horn that we had seen for a majority of the season is not that guy right now. Not necessarily just in terms of stuff or velocity, but just the general demeanor that he had on the mound. And one thing that's especially visible in baseball is, at least in my eyes, is the second you see an opposing or any type of pitcher just to start really slowing the game down, that's, in my mind, that's indicative of 
him trying to really gather his thoughts on the spot and try to take control of the game when it sort of feels the game is, you know, eluding him. And it was very, it was easy to see that, you know, very early on in this start for Horn that, you know, once he started, once he wasn't hitting his spots and once he started getting very deep into these counts, there was this feeling that this was not the same Horn, at least in this game, that had a 1.82 ERA and was the, had the 15th best ERA heading into this game. This was someone who very much was playing the very first uh, college baseball of his young career. And the same can sort of be said with Rogelio Reyes and Jack Delmore as well. You know, Rogelio, one of the things that I've noticed about him is he has this very, I don't want to say carefree, carefree isn't exactly the right word, but he has this very loose demeanor. And, you know, when I was seeing him on the mound, both taking his warm-ups, it felt as if there was a certain level of, you know, tenseness that we haven't really seen throughout the season. You know, I remember he was actually one of the players who was displayed prior to the game and he was in the dugout whatever song the stadium was playing he was kind of singing along to it dancing to it but it's sort of that that energy that he exuded in that moment right then and there prior to the game wasn't really there when he was on the mound and I understand when you're on the mound you got to get a little more serious lock in but it felt as if there was just this collective tenseness with the team and you know, there there wasn't really that fun and vibrant and loose energy that this team really exuded throughout the season. I, one of the things that actually, it kind of stuck out to me a little bit in, I can't remember what inning it was, but it was the inning where Darren Baker stole second. I, if When he was on the base pass, he did have this certain energy. There was a little bit of a cat and mouse uh, with the pitcher Williamson when he was on the base paths. But, you know, aside from that, there wasn't too many moments that really stuck out to me in terms of this Cal team really being completely 100% comfortable being in the moment. And that's one of those things where you can't really become accustomed to a certain environment, at least in terms of the postseason, unless you've been in it a couple times and you've been able to sort of contextualize it because when it's your you know when it's your very first anything you want it to be you know there's this added pressure that you place upon yourself especially when that pressure is in the playoffs because there's also this pressure in the back of their heads where if they lose this game now they're potentially facing elimination tomorrow which now is going to be the case and looking forward to tomorrow just to sort of wrap things up here uh the biggest question mark that I have in regards to tomorrow is who is new ultimately going to start with. When I initially recorded this, I actually had to go and backtrack. I, I hypothesized that they would go uh, with Sabori, but they're actually going to be going with Sam Stoutenboro for uh, tomorrow against Central Connecticut. I did make the point that I think it is, you know, because Rogelio Reyes only went a third of an inning and faced... Uh, only three batters the fact that he went so short could sort of be a silver lining to this game because now you have the opportunity to use him uh, if need be I'm not entirely sure what this means in regards to Sabori whether or not Cal will be trying to hold on to him for uh, a potential third game or if they would be inclined to go with him if absolutely necessary but Stoutenboro will be the starter tomorrow he hasn't been the same level. He hasn't had the same level of effectiveness 
as he had, you know, sort of in that midway point of the season when Sabori was the opener and Sam Stoutenborough would be, you know, being in that sort of long relief role. There was a couple instances where Sabori would go two innings, Stoutenborough would come in in relief, and he would string together these beautiful stretches of pitching in which he would absolutely shut down the opposing pitching. And he has had a couple of bright spots ever since he transitioned to being the actual starter as opposed to this opener strategy, the game against BYU does come to mind. One of the things that I am going to be looking for with Stoutenborough, similar to what I was looking for in Horn, is how does he respond to the environment that he's in and all the pressure that's going to be on him in this game? Because we're talking about a lot of the players in this lineup, you know, this being their very first trip to the tournament. I think there's also another thing to factor in with Stoutenborough is not only is this his first appearance in the tournament, but he's also a freshman with a certain number, you know, a very limited number of starts under his name. And sort of what I'm going to be looking for in him is, does he have command of his stuff early on? If he allows a hit, if he allows a walk, if there's a little bit of pressure, how does he respond to it? Those are going to be sort of the things that I'm really looking for in terms of Stoutenborough. I will be doing another instant analysis immediately after Cal's game tomorrow uh, against Central Connecticut. Hopefully I can get some of the baseball writers on me because as much as I love to talk, it's, you know, doing these a lot easier, both a lot easier and a lot funner when I have someone to sort of bounce these ideas off. Just, you know, just general conversation instead of me just talking to a computer or microphone. Uh, but until tomorrow, season number two, episode number 11, One Golden Moment Podcast, Justice De Los Santos, as always, signing off.